DNR College Football Report, Reeves Mitchell, Dave Myrick for 107.7 The Franchise. Reeves uh, coming off a better performance in Norman. I know that we were both at the game. Oklahoma kind of came uh, limping in following two defeats. The last one going to sting a while to the in-state brethren, Oklahoma State Cowboys. But I'll tell you what, they got some horses back. Danny Stutzman back at linebacker, uh, I thought made a huge difference. And it just looked like a different team, confidence and execution-wise. Yeah, and it's funny because, I mean, I thought the crowd was a little bit restless after that first West Virginia drive. You know, they march it right down the field. It's 7-0 in the blink of an eye. But, I mean, really from that point on, OU figured it out. The offense was on fire, you know, on Saturday. Man, they were really able to throw the ball downfield. Gavin Sawchuk was able to run it well. I just thought it was very complimentary football. You know, the defense was helping out the offense vice versa, and they were able to run and throw the ball. So, I mean, really no complaints there. And, Dave, it feels like a few of those Jeff Lebby haters are quiet <laughs> on this Sunday. Yeah, I mean, West Virginia Reeves, their defense isn't going to win any national awards, but they were fourth in the Big 12 in total defense. And Oklahoma, to your point, they were able to do whatever they wanted. Dylan Gabriel finishes 22 of 36, five touchdowns. Uh, adds 50 more yards rushing on 11 carries with three more touchdowns. Gavin Sawchuck, 22 for 135. Uh, Drake Stoops, another gigantic day. Uh, he was targeted 13 times, 10 receptions, 164 yards, three touchdowns. Nick Anderson got in on the action, Reeves. He goes over 100. Austin Stogner, a big night. Uh, they were able to do whatever they wanted, whatever Levy dialed up. The game plan he scripted coming in, I mean, it, it worked to perfection. Yeah, it really did. I mean, I thought the play action passing down the field just looked so much more crisp than it has the last two weeks. And, I mean, last week it felt like a reluctancy from OU to really stretch the ball down the field for some reason. I mean, we're still a little bit confused about that game plan <laughs> in Bedlam. But, you know, versus Kansas, you can allude back to the weather. And, you know, that downfield passing probably wasn't there. If it's a sunnier day in Lawrence that day, I mean, I think the play calling would have been a lot different. But yeah, yesterday it just seems like anything Jeff Levy, you know, dialed up, it was working. I really was encouraged by the run game. And, you know, we've been harping for Tawi Walker to play. We can get into that a little bit later. But Sawchuk really, you know, cemented himself as probably the guy for the rest of the season, I would say, in that backfield. I mean, he had a good game in Bedlam, follow it up with another 100-yard performance there yesterday. He's a solid back, Dave, and especially when he gets space, you know, when the O-line blocks well, and that goes for any running back, but, you know, really for a guy like him who needs explosiveness, you know, he needs that little bit of hole to get that explosiveness going. But, Dave, it seems like once he can get on that one-on-one -on -one area or, you know, 10 yards in a cloud of dust, um, it just feels like he's gone. So I'm really encouraged his season has turned around for the better because, Dave, he was a guy heading into the season we were very, very excited about. Yeah, man, and I thought yesterday, I mean, yeah, I know he had, a, he had a decent Bedlam game, but I thought yesterday really resembled the guy that we saw in the Cheez-It Bowl, that we thought, you know, in all fall camp, that's going to be what we see in Oklahoma's backfield now for various reasons, injuries, you know, the, the chief concern there with his hamstring, it hadn't been there, and the running back room to this point has been a mystery Still kind of weird. Yeah, we'll dive into Tawi Walker later. But uh, no, Gavin Sawchuk looks like the guy we thought we would see 
you know, this fall at Oklahoma, it just happened to take 10 games to, to get there. Better late than never, Reeves, because looking around the league, I mean, some things fell yesterday that Oklahoma needs to have happen with Kansas losing in Lawrence and Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma State, wow. I've seen hungover teams, and I've seen what I saw yesterday. I, I can't really aptly explain what happened besides just an ass-kicking, Reeves. <laughs> Gus Malson and UCF just lay the wood to Oklahoma State. Yeah, I don't want to take too much credit for that game, and I know you were on the same side as well. I believe you picked the Knights in that game on our pick yeah, you know what? I don't think I did. I think I was on the Mike Gundy train and, and Ollie Gordon for Heisman. No, I won't go that far. But, no, I thought they'd go down and run the ball well enough to win. I, Jekyll and Hyde teams, you know, this year in the league, you never quite know what you're going to get week to week. But I, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, uh, you might have had OSU. I can't remember. But uh, I think you – even if you picked OSU, Dave, you kind of saw the hangover spot that could ensue there. I sure. mean, it was not a good spot for the Cowboys this week. That's why I went with the Knights. And don't get me wrong, I did not see only three points coming Oklahoma State's way. Dave, I thought this was going to be a shootout. And if UCF was going to win, it'd be 52-45, something like that, to where neither team can stop each other, but UCFO is just better in the end. But, man, they took it to him, and OSU seemed out of sorts all day. That offense was never able to get going. And, Dave, I mean, UCF did what they had to do. They punched him in the mouth early. They were up 14-0, 21-0 early in that game and really put the pressure on OSU to say, hey, you can't just run Ollie all day. You know, you're going to have to throw to get back into this game. Now, the weather definitely didn't help with that either. The rain really came in midway through that game. So that might have threw a wrench in what OSU kind of wanted to do. But, man, I mean, that was, yeah, you're right. It was an ass-kicking. I mean, there's no other way to put it. UCF had their number, and OSU, their schedule to end the year is not very difficult. But now, Dave, this is something that can creep into their confidence. And I think they'll have no trouble with BYU at home. But, Dave, that at Houston game. Tricky. We saw saw Houston give Texas trouble down there, and Texas is probably the best team in this league, if not one of them. So – that's a spot OSU could still lose, Dave. I mean, I would not write in two W's for the Pokes just yet to end the season. Though they're going to be heavily favored in both those games, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, Reeves, I think yesterday we saw, you know, what we saw Oklahoma State be to start the season. It, it's what they were. Now, you go back through the five wins. How'd that happen? All right. Well, you go back and look at turnovers they got or a timely penalty at the right time against, say, Kansas. Uh, there were breaks falling their way that you thought, hey, the law of averages here has to even out a little bit. And when it does, you know, it probably won't look very good for the Cowboys. Now, that's not to take anything away from winning five games. They did what they needed to do. Mike Gundy is a very savvy, very smart coach. Uh, so, you know, give him full credit for that. But my point is they came back down to earth and I think saw more what that football team really is without breaks that helped them out. And, uh, yeah, Gus Malzahn, UCF, great game plan. Uh, Oklahoma State had no answers for them defensively. Couldn't do anything on offense. They limited Ollie Gordon. I think he had six rushes for nine yards, you know, like midway through the first quarter. And fumbled. So, it, yeah, I mean, just a dominant performance. And uh, it, it just goes to show you in this league, Reeves, I mean, let's jump from that one down to TCU, Texas. You know, we were both keeping an eye on that one last night. 
Uh, TCU, not a very good team all season. You know, pretty high expectations. They, they have not been good. And yet they take the Longhorns with Quinn Ewers to the brink. And realistically, if they get the stop on third down there, you know, on Texas's last possession, a great chance to pull off the upset. And Reeves, I didn't get the game plan. I, I told Calvin Kirkland, one of our friends on the show, uh, it didn't seem like Sarkeesian trusted Ewers to win when it mattered until he really had to. I don't understand that. Yeah, uh, I think Texas is very confident in their run game. That's what I kind of took away from that. I mean, man, we can get into the Brooks injury in a second, but that's a detrimental loss for the Longhorns. Feel but terrible for that kid, yeah. Yeah, same here. I mean, he's a great player. He really carved up OU in the Cotton Bowl and gave Texas a chance to win that game. But, I mean, getting back on that note, I think Texas is very confident in what they have in that backfield. Baxter, their backup, is a really, really good running back, too. He's got a different build than Brooks. You know, mm-hmm. he's more slim and maybe more explosive a little bit, but he's not really going to run you over. So I think they like what they have in that backfield. But, uh, yeah, the game plan was interesting. I mean, Quinn Ewers really didn't throw the ball down the field an awful lot. Uh, I mean, like you alluded to, until he had to on that third and 12. Mm-hmm. There's the jump ball to Mitchell, and great play by A.D. Mitchell there to readjust to the ball get the first down and win Texas the game. But, yeah, Texas is play calling against teams that are not good as them. It tends to get interesting, Dave, and I don't know. It seems like uh, a lot of times in that game they could have pushed the ball down the field and maybe really ended the game and right. put pressure on TCU. But, man, we both know you just cannot let these subpar teams hang in the game forever because eventually you're going to make a dumb mistake that's going to come back to bite you. It hasn't happened for Texas recently. They've been able to win these close games, but Dave, I wouldn't mess around with it too much. They need to start putting these subpar teams away in the first half. Yeah, I mean, when you do that, when you play not to lose, you know, and try to do field position and run it, you're you're playing you're playing with fire. And I thought, I agree with you. I love their run game, especially with Brooks, but it wasn't working. I mean, you know, in midway through the fourth quarter, I think they had 70 total yards for the second half. And he's still, I mean, stuck with it. And just almost to the point to where you're right. That was a jump ball, 50-50 ball that they happen to come down with. If that's incomplete, clock stops, TCU gets the ball back. You know, it plus territory or midfield uh, a little bit better and a great chance to win. So, I don't know. That was odd to me. I just, I don't know if he's fully not thinking yours is back to 100%. If that's the case, why do you play the kid? Uh, I don't know. Interesting thing to watch moving forward is they have a very tough game in Ames next Saturday, and Iowa State looks like a dangerous team, especially at night, especially in Ames, as they take it to BYU, Oklahoma's next opponent, Reeves. Yeah, Iowa State really shocked me this week, Dave. I mean, I think Vegas put that line at 8-7 to seven for a reason. And on our pick show, you know, we were both confused. Right. We're saying, why is this not a three-point spread? Right. Why is this not a four-point spread to Iowa State? You know, are they really that good to go into a hostile environment like Trobo and take it to them like they did? Well, I mean, Dave, they should. I mean, I think Matt Campbell is proving a lot of people wrong this year. He was one of the hotter commodities at the head coaching position in college football the last, you know, three to five years with his success he's had at Iowa State. Dave, it kind of feels like. Ever since the gambling stuff with Iowa State came out to start this year, people kind of gave up on him and, you know, thought this would be the three-win season, four-win season. But, man, has he turned it around, and he's going to get Iowa State to a bowl game this year. Give him all the credit in the world. 
Dave, I'm going to say one thing about that game next week. Texas is by far the more talented team. We both know it. But Ames is one of the tougher places to play in the Big 12, and that Jack Trice Stadium is going to be a madhouse on Saturday. The last chance the Iowa State Cyclones get to face Texas as they go off to the SEC, man, they're going to want to win that game, obviously. But I expect that crowd to be livid and hype and all of the above. So... Dave, Texas cannot sleepwalk into their week and expect to walk out with an easy win. It's just not going to work like that. No, man. And they have history. You know, if you remember back to we recruit, I I don't know what Campbell said, but the exact phrase, heart, not stars or something. They go down to Austin and win a couple of years ago. They've always played Texas tough with with Matt Campbell. And I guarantee you they're licking their chops. And uh, unfortunate news coming out of Austin this morning. Uh, tremendous running back Brooks that you alluded to in the Cotton Bowl had a really good game is out for the season torn ACL. I cannot overstate how big of an injury that is for the Longhorns. You point to what they like to do rushing the ball and really trusting it, and that kind kind of being their bread and butter behind a really good offensive line. He is the catalyst for that. I mean, their entire premise on offense revolves around that guy, and for good reason. But now Reeves, they find themselves in a very tough spot. Heading to play a team that has played them very hard in the past without their primary guy on offense. Yeah, I hate to say this for, I mean, the Texas fans listening, and don't get me wrong, man, I think Texas is up there in the top ten in college football. They're one of the elite teams we have this year, but I, I can't overstate it enough. I mean, I think that caps their ceiling to a certain extent. And now I think they can still win out the season. I think they could still win the Big 12 title without him. It's going to be much tougher. But, Dave, now you get into a playoff scenario where you're facing a Georgia, you're facing Ohio State, you're facing a Florida State. He's a difference maker Mm -hmm. in a game like that. And he takes so much pressure off Quinn Ewers Mm -hmm. because, man, he's averaging about 100 yards a game. And, again, Texas has all the guys on the bench. They recruit well at every position. They're going to have some five-star running back that I'm sure will step up. But, Dave, I'm sorry, this this caps their ceiling to me to a certain extent, and it makes them less lethal on offense, in my opinion. Uh, no question about it. That's what I'm talking about, man. I mean, when you have a guy that is the focal point of your offense through 10 games of the year, and he's yanked out of the equation, that changes everything. So, a big coaching task for Sarkeesian down in Austin. But, uh Speaking of coaches, let's talk about another one up north and interesting happenings on a Friday evening. The Big Ten announces they're going to suspend Jim Harbaugh for the rest of the season on the eve of Michigan's biggest game of the year at Happy Valley, Penn State. Uh, Reeves did not phase the Wolverines at all. They were the better team. James Franklin, well, he did what James Franklin does. He loses a big game at home. And, uh, you know, Michigan still looks like a very good team. I thought that they... They use that as the proper motivation. You know, they had the Michigan versus the world hats on, Blake Corum sporting before the game started. I thought that really rallied their team and gave them something to kind of get behind. But they were just the better club up in Happy Valley. Yeah, and Dave, I mean, we pick a lot of games each week. And we don't go 10-0 every week, as people know. We're going to miss some games here. We, We don't have a crystal ball. We know this sport like the back of our hand, but again, we cannot see into the future. Dave, this one left a sour taste in my mouth after it ended me not picking the Wolverines. Yeah, I know. Me too. I felt like an idiot, I to know. be honest with you, man. I felt like an idiot for being on the Nittany Lions in this game. Just 
We should we should know better. We should it's James yeah. Franklin. We should know better. We should have. We should have known better because James Franklin, as he said, did what he does. Some idiotic decisions in this game. Oh man. But that's not to take any credit away from Michigan because man, are they a well-oiled machine up there in Ann Arbor? I mean, take all of the off the field stuff out of the window and I know it's hard to do. It's all people are talking about on Twitter. But man, Dave, does it not just feel like this Michigan team year in, year out, especially the last three or so years, just has an unmatched chemistry to where they want to ride or die for that team and they want to ride or die for Coach Harbaugh. I mean, you could tell those players were motivated. They, Their offense looked way more complete than Penn State. <clears throat> I don't know if you saw this morning, Dave, but Penn State relieved Mike Yersich of his duties as offensive coordinator. Yeah, I did see after that. After three seasons. Yeah, yeah. If uh, you remember, they hired him from Oklahoma State, and that just really never panned out. But Yeah, can we say scapegoat? I'm sorry, but he's not the problem. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think James Franklin's the problem there, and it's a tough one, Dave, because it's the old story of a coach that wins 10 games every year. Mm-hmm. Can you really fire him? Because while he maybe doesn't win the big game, He's getting you to the New Year's New Year's Six just about every year. Yeah, this is the, this is the problem Nebraska faced with Bo Pelini not ten years ago. Yeah, He's getting nine, ten wins every year, but there's a certain point when you're an elite program, you just want more. I think we have to ask what their fan base needs to ask, and Texas A&M is another one that really needs to ask: Are we really elite, or do we have a misconception about where we should be every year? I, I agree that Pelini was good, not great, and Nebraska at the time, I still considered to be an elite program, so I have no trouble with the firing. Looking back now, it's hindsight, yeah, they should have kept him, whatever. Penn State, you know, with Paterno, had some nice years, you know, wins a title, but it's just, they're not, you know, you know what I'm talking about, they're not the Oklahomas or USC's or even Texas's of the world. What's your what's your realistic expectation year in, year out? Is it to win 10, be in contention for a conference championship, make a good bowl game? Now, Georgia, Alabama, even Oklahoma to an extent, probably have a higher expectation to compete for national championships. But I, I just think there's a lot of misconception around the country about you know where people's programs realistically are. You bring up a great point. I think you're 100% correct. And it is just interesting to see the expectations of different fan bases across the nation because, Dave, last time I checked, those Aggies down in College Station <laughs> have never won a national title. Oh, no, but they sure yeah, act they like they have. Coaches, like, that's the expectation, and I believe that is the expectation down there in College Station. I mean, Dave, if you look at Penn State's history, two national titles, which is nothing to scoff over. Sure. But Dave, they have not won one since the 80s. I believe it was 87 or so, something along those lines. They have not won one since the 80s. And, I mean, they had Joe Paterno, who's a historic coach. His tenure obviously ended not the way anyone wanted it to. But, man, I think all that success back in the 80s and 90s, it just it carries over to the current day. And we both know Penn State has one of the best atmospheres and venues in college football. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is an elite venue down there in Happy Valley. I mean, those fans get up there every Saturday, but there comes a certain point. It's like, do you really expect this team to compete for a national title? Because when have they done it in the last 20 years? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, you a lot of Penn State fans are pissed off today. Fire James Franklin. Okay, fire him for what? What, what exactly are you going to get that's better? And what, what exactly are you expecting? 
the only way you can do better than 10 and 2, you know, annually is to be in the playoffs. And I, I don't foresee that with Penn State recruiting against Michigan, Ohio State, now USC in the Big Ten. So, yeah, I think it puts athletic directors and presidents of universities in very tough spots. They want to listen to their base. They, they feel the heat. But they're like, you know, really, what do you guys expect? And, yeah, on that note, let's jump down to College Station. News breaking this morning that they fired Jimbo Fisher. They're going to, what, swallow down the gigantic buyout that guy gets and uh, overpay some other coach to come in and, and coach under unrealistic expectations. I I don't know what they're doing, Reeves. Uh, the guy can recruit. I think they were an elite quarterback away from being really good and just didn't get it with him. If they did, he was injured. It just, one thing or another, it didn't work. And I don't really know where they go from here. I mean, let's be honest, it was an overpay in the first place. Sure. And they paid for recruiting classes. I mean, Nick Saban said it. It was the best recruiting class money could buy. Quote from Coach Saban, I mean, this just never really came to fruition. And Dave, the big thorn in the side i think for a&m fans was the five and seven year last year with that recruiting class coming in while paying a coach 80 million dollars annually and you go five and seven and yes it's in the toughest league in college football but still dave yes that recruiting class on paper was one of the best in college football history and to not even make a bowl last year and then follow this year up dave it really has not been a bad year for the aggies if you look at it you know, from an outside perspective. I mean, who are their losses this year? They lost to Tennessee by seven points. I think they lost to Ole Miss by three points. And they lost to Alabama by three points. Right. So it's like, where are your expectations at if you're an A&M fan? They're likely going to finish third in the SEC West this year. And I know Jimbo never got you to the SEC championship. Uh, I mean, his record is very comparable, if not worse, to Kevin Sumlin's record when he was at A&M. Mm-hmm. But it, it comes to a certain point where what are your real expectations, man? This Bama train is not going to stop rolling till Saban retires, at least. LSU is going to be good damn near every year. Georgia is up there. I mean, Ole Miss is on the same line as you. So it's just hard for me with A&M fans' expectations when they really, I mean, they're not a blue blood. No. They haven't really wanted anything ever. They have all the money in the world, and it's like, just because you have all the money, man, that shouldn't come with all this expectation. But, Dave, sadly, that's how our world works, and with money comes expectations. So I I don't know where they go from here. The name I've heard most commonly floated around is Elko at Duke. I think that makes sense. But from an A&M fan's perspective, going from Elko from Jimbo, I mean, is that a huge step up in your opinion? Uh, Reeves, I mean, I think Jimbo got to where he was because Jameis Winston gave him a fantastic no year. And no doubt. it put a feather in his cap that A&M paid for. Boy, did they pay for it. I think Elko, what he has shown to be able to do at Duke, and you speak about limitations being capped and ceilings, that really is capped due to their academic standards, a private school very expensive, and it's very hard to get into. So he he has a certain athlete he has to recruit. And what he's doing this year with those limitations, I, I can't overstate that, a fantastic coaching job. He has ties to A&M. He has ties recruiting in the SEC. I think it makes sense. But Reeves, two years ago, if you'd have told somebody this, they'd have called you nuts. But that's where they're at. And I, I'm with you. I, I think that's a great hire for them. 
Uh, it should be 1A on the list, but getting back to their expectations, look, A&M fans listening, I have never seen a base that talks more while doing less in my entire life. I don't know what A&M has ever done in their history. Nothing. I mean, let's just call it succinct. Try competing for the division in the conference you're in before speaking. Uh, that fan base loves to talk, Reeves, and I... I, I don't know what they want. I, I have to believe they're somewhat behind this firing by, by all the bitching they've done the last two years. So you're where you're at. Congrats. I don't know where you go from here. Uh, just a mess down in College Station. But I'm with you. I like the Elko hire. Uh, all right, enough on A&M. Boy, they, their fan base the last few years. Wow. Hey, la- last thing I want to say on that. Let's not forget when they hired Jimbo and made him the highest paid coach in college football history. They presented him with a blank plaque that said A&M National Champions and left out the the year. And it was for him to fill in. I think it's safe to say that aged like milk. Oh, oh, the oof. I'm thinking of the oofeter meme. That's that's bad. Yeah, well, like I said, they get what they get now. If they're able to get Elka to come down from Duke, I, I really think that's a good hire and he can do some things, but... It's going to take a while, Reeves. I mean, that that's a total rebuild now after Fisher is ushered out the door. But, uh, all right, let's let's go back to the big one, recap Oklahoma a little bit. Uh, career day for Dylan Gabriel. I'll tell you what, man, that's two weeks in a row. Drake Stoops sets his career high, then breaks it the next week. The dude is playing out of his mind. I mean, putting the offense on his back, showing exactly what Oklahoma football means to him. I mean, we we learned it in practice this week. We've heard it from him all year. I mean, he's provided us with great interviews all year at practice, but specifically the last two or so weeks, I mean, coming off these losses, it seems like he's really stepped up as the leader on this offense. And that's not to take anything away from quarterback Dylan Gabriel. I think he's a great leader as well. But, man, Stoops has been around. He's seen everything at this university. I mean, he's seen the wins. He's seen the losses. He's seen the great years, and he's seen the not-so-great years. So, I mean, his perspective is everything to me. And the way he stepped up, man, he stepped up in Bedlam, and people are going to forget about his performance in that game because the Sooners didn't end up winning. But, man, this week he continues doing it. Three touchdowns. The last one he gets absolutely drilled over the middle. I'm glad he's okay after that. But how many times in this game, Dave, did it seem like, man – He's putting his body on the line going across this, across the middle on those crosser routes, and he's just tough as nails. Just tough as nails. What a just gutsy kid. I mean, doesn't have the size, doesn't have the speed, but he makes up for it with heart. He makes up for it with great route running, with great hands. Dave, I mean, he's the type of receiver, you know, little kids are watching at home, and they're saying, you know, maybe I can be like him one day. Yeah, no doubt about it, Reeves. He's the... The consummate OU guy, you know, we talked to him in practice, as you referenced, he's got the, the big scar on his chin, he got playing, and, you know, a reporter asked uh, Monday night, is there still a lot to play for? Boy, the look he shot that reporter, it, it was reminiscent of his dad on, on some dumb questions in the past, but no, man, he, he loves Oklahoma football, He that's all the guy, he lives and breathes it, he said, hey, I've been up here for you know, five, six years, day in, day out, year-round, busting my tail. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, there's a lot to play for. He goes out and and shows it, man. It's his toughness across the middle. Yeah, he took a big shot on the third touchdown. 
I thought he was out. Now it turns out he said he just got the air knocked out of him, which if you've ever had that happen, it feels like you're dying. I mean, you're just going to lay there and die. So. One of the worst feelings I've ever probably experienced. <laughs> yeah, if you've I had it happen. One time I intercepted a pass and I fell right on the ball, and I thought that was my last moment on earth. <laughs> Um, yeah, if you've had it happen, you will never forget the moment. Because, yeah, it's a scary feeling. So, yeah, glad to see he's okay. He's going to be needed down the stretch. But uh, I thought the other side of the ball came out with a, a more intensity, more focus. Yeah, you referenced the first drive. West Virginia with their scripted plays, you know, to start off a game. They're able to go down the field and score. Reeves, I like the response from Oklahoma because coming off two losses – you know, heads might be hanging a little low, motivation teetering, the crowd is a little antsy at 7 nothing right off the bat, and I thought right there they had a, a choice to make. Like, yeah, this thing's off the rails, there's nothing left to play for, it's over. And they do the opposite, man. They come out and buckle down, uh, restrict West Virginia to 14 points the rest of the game, only 7 the entire second half, and uh, I thought the front four did a great job on West Virginia's run game. They have some good running backs, Reeves, Donaldson and White. Donaldson goes 14 for 79. They hold White, nine carries, 39 yards. 330 total yards for West Virginia. That's that's really good against a mobile quarterback in the run game they've got. Yeah, something that's kind of pissed me off, if I'm being quite honest with you, around the city football team the last few weeks. A lot of people have gone to the defensive side and blamed the run defense these last two weeks. Now, don't get me wrong, versus Kansas, it was not there. I mean, they missed a lot of tackles, and Highshaw and Neal, you know, they had good days. Versus Ollie Gordon, sure, he got his, man. He got 130 yards, he got the two touchdowns, but Dave, we both know the football minds watching that game. OU did a pretty good job on him, mm-hmm. stopping him fourth and one twice. And, I mean, Stutzman didn't even play, who was your best defensive player by a mile, your best tackler by a mile, and he's the leader of that defense. Right. So, I mean, with a healthy Danny Stutzman this week with, you know, Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis, guys like that, continuing to step up and become great players, I was just confused going into this game. And don't get me wrong, I I thought this was a game that could get away from OU. I thought West Virginia could stick around. I mean, you called OU by three touchdowns, and credit to you, you were right. I thought it was a game West Virginia could hang in for a little bit because I like Garrett Green at quarterback, but... You know, most people that were picking West Virginia in this game were alluding to that OU run defense and saying, man, West Virginia has a chance to just carve them. Has this rush defense really been carved at all this year in a game? No. I would say Kansas the most. No. Man, I I don't get that at all because I thought from this year to last year, comparing the two, the run defense has looked phenomenally better. I mean, it's not even close to me. Reeves, the last two two weeks that they lost, the defense was not the reason. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, they did their part to win both games uh, more than enough uh, against Oklahoma State. Ollie Gordon's going to get his yards. That's what you just said. He got his. Okay, OU lives with that. In crucial moments in the second half to get the ball back to an offense to extend the lead, they did that. And, uh, no, I don't put any blame at all on the defense. Could they play better? Sure. But you mentioned complimentary football. That has to exist in this equation, and it has not existed the last two weeks. It did last night and looked like a completely different Oklahoma team. Yeah, Danny Stutzman comes back, uh, has eight tackles, seven solo, three tackles for losses. 
I mean, the guy is just all over the place. The fact he's not a Butkus finalist is a joke. I mean, an absolute slap in the face. But you can just see his presence on that defense, Reeves. It elevates the other 10 guys at all times. Yeah, and I mean, I, a quote we were kind of confused about going into the week was Danny Sussman. I can't remember what podcast he joined this week. Mm. Might have been through sellout, but I, I can't remember. So don't quote me on that. But uh, he had you know, a quote talking about we need everyone on this team to buy in. And there are a couple guys on this team that, you know, I need to see buy in 110%. And, man, that was a strong and powerful quote. A lot of OU fans took that as, oh, no, this team is, you know, sold out. No one on this team believes anymore. Oh, no. Dave, let's be real. I think he was talking about three to five guys maybe. Mm -hmm. And it's just a few guys on this team that, you know, whether it be the player tweeting at halftime, whether it be a few players, you know, fighting with coaches during practice, stuff like that. But th that's what a leader does, Dave. And he calls out the people that, you know, are not bought in when he has to call them out. And I thought that quote kind of motivated this team going into the week. I mean, did they not look like a motivated and poised team on Saturday? They just looked like they wanted to prove to the world, hey, we are still a good football team. Hey, we can still win 10 games. And, hey, I mean, if the cards fall, you know, in line, we could be playing in the Big 12 championship. Yeah, no doubt about it, Reeves. That's why on our Pick'em show, you know, we got Calvin on. We're talking about the game. I said, look, I think there's a misconception here. The perception is West Virginia's won two games, so they're good. And because Oklahoma's lost two, they're bad. Don't let that get in the way. And that's why I picked Oklahoma by three touchdowns. I thought if they don't turn the ball over and beat themselves like they did the last two weeks – they would handle West Virginia, and that's that's what happened. But they have to do it. Talk is cheap. I mean, we hear it every week in practice. We're focused. It's been a good week. And this was the first week in three. They actually executed, played complimentary football. We didn't see a lot of stupid penalties. Uh, no really bad turnovers, although the uh, the special teams, wow. Still an issue in Norman Reeves. Even fielding punts, something as, as simple as that, is, has become a tough, tough task. But... All in all, a good night. Uh, yeah, Stutzman back. His quote, man, I'm with you. I think a lot of people took that as a divided locker room. I don't see that. I think this team is very close. And, yeah, you have a couple of outliers, two, three, four guys that, you know, when you have a cancer in the locker room, even if it's two guys, that can be a big distraction. And his call-out worked. Does that look like a completely different team on both sides of the ball we saw last night? Yeah, and jump, a point I wanted to make on the offense, jumping back over to that side of the ball, and on Jeff Levy, I mean, he called a masterful game last night. There's no way around it. He he was hitting on all cylinders for sure. Dave, don't you think he, in a way, learned his lesson just a little bit in that Dylan Gabriel is a great runner and he <laughs> needs to run the football? Because in Bedlam, the Dylan Gabriel run game was non-existent. They gave him a read option one play. It went for negative two or something like that. And then, you know, there was really no QB draws, really no plays designed to get DG out of the pocket. But, man, last night it felt like when they got into the red zone, they were running that Dylan Gabriel power. And it worked very well. I mean, he had three touchdowns on the ground. We've been saying it all year. It's the most underrated part of his game. Even go back to the Nebraska game last year on the road. Mm -hmm. OU was in a funk early, down 7-0. It was looking like Nebraska, you know, was going to play him tough at home. What does Levy call out on third and six, third and seven? A Dylan QB draw, and he takes it for 79 yards. Oh, you never looked back and killed Nebraska in that game. But, 
Dave, I mean, it's just the un- most underrated part of his game, and it makes him so much more lethal when you use his runs like that. It makes the offense as a whole lethal, Reeves. You go back through, all right, Levy's tenure in Norman. When has OU been at their best offensively? You go back to the Cheez-It Bowl. Dylan Gabriel had some scrambles, some designed runs. Texas this year, he was a gigantic aspect in the run game. over 100 yards in that game. I mean, midway through the season, the guy is Oklahoma's leading rusher. And to not see that up in Stillwater, you know, you say he called a masterful game last night. He did. And that should silence people for a while. However, that does not excuse the oddness of last week not having Dylan Gabriel involved at all in the run game. Weird. It's been a weird year, Reeves, just in a lot of aspects with this team. Uh <laughs> That being said, you're right. If cards fall in certain spots, they're they're right where they want to be. I don't know about playoffs, but uh, you know, still have a chance to compete for a conference championship, which is always a big deal at Oklahoma. But uh, there was one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, sounds like this morning Jackson Arnold is heading for a red shirt. I don't understand that, Reeves. If he is as good as we hear and as good as we've seen at practice and. Uh, the limited time he's played, it's not going to matter. And if he's not as good as people think, it's not going to matter because there'll be another quarterback. I I don't really get this decision. I don't really get it either. But on the same note, I mean, is there really an opportunity for him to play in these last few weeks? Yeah, Yes, you could for sure argue in blowouts, which OU may blow out one of the last two games or even both of them. I mean, they very well could, but... I mean, I I just think this is Dylan Gabriel's team. This is Dylan Gabriel's season. They want to ride with him till the end. And the only way I see Arnold getting in the rest of the year would be, you know, a blowout scenario like I'm talking about. And I guess the coaches just don't even think that's even that valuable, which, I mean, I tend to disagree with. I mm-hmm. think getting a young quarterback in in any type of game is always a valuable experience, but Dave, I think there's some reasons behind the scenes on this one that we're not quite aware of. Yeah, there has to be because I, you know, you cannot duplicate and replicate game reps. That that is a saying for a very good reason. You can't practice it. It's it's its own animal. Is to get out there and get a game feel. And a year before they jump to the SEC, that's that's an interesting decision, Reeves. We'll we'll keep an eye on that the rest of the year and see if that sticks. But. Uh, no, a very impressive performance by Oklahoma yesterday. Had to have it, man. I mean, winning cures a lot. You know, when you're losing the stuff like the Danny Stutzman quote and the cancer locker room and guys not bought it, you hear all that, and it gets so amplified. Uh, when you come off a win like this, totally different, you know, atmosphere after the, after the game's over and attitude, and it, it just fixes a lot. They needed it uh, to show, hey, a repeat of last year isn't going to happen. This is a new team. We're, we're building the right direction. They did that. And I think moving forward for momentum, that, that's a very good thing as they have a chance to finish this season out very strong. Yeah, Dave. Uh, one last thing before we probably wrap this up. Uh, the, the lines came out for uh, this next week of college football, from Circa at least. I don't know if you had a chance to see OU's line at BYU, but I wanted you to give a guess if you haven't seen it yet. I have not, Reeves. I would probably put it at uh, 13, 14 points. Well, you're going to be you're going to be interested by this one. It comes in at OU minus a whopping 24. Whoa, whoa. Yep. On the road at Pro Man. Yep. 
Okay, well, you know what? I questioned Vegas last week with Iowa State going up there. I won't question them this week, Reeves. Maybe BYU is really that bad, uh, and Oklahoma looked that good last night. Look, it comes down to this. When Oklahoma does not beat themselves, in my opinion, they are the best team in the Big 12. And I said it. I stuck with it through two losses. I still believe that. And I, Vegas, I think, is echoing those sentiments, Reeves. But, uh, yeah, we're going to wrap this one up, man. Got got some end-of-weekend stuff to do. Just wanted to get a, a quick recap on everything the weekend that was. And uh, we'll be back with you guys later on this week on the DNR College Football Report. For Reeves Mitchell, I'm Dave Myrick. We'll talk to you guys down the road.